Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to the book of Philippians once again as we go through. Uh, I was looking through the records. I think it was 1996. And then again in 2005, we went through the book of Philippians. And uh, there's a time that to go through this book again. There's just so much here that we need. And um, also uh, pray for us as we'll be leaving after the service tonight, trying to get at least halfway to... Uh, uh, West Virginia, uh, Joanna Marshall will be in for just a few days from the Philippines because Monica's graduating and uh, though we won't be able to do that, we'll at least be able to see Joanna for a little bit and then Dad and Mom Marshall who are planning uh, uh, to be with us on our 25th anniversary in October. And so uh, if you've ever been here when uh, Brother and Mrs. Marshall have been here, it's always uh, a blessed time and uh, uh, not only are they uh, grandpa, grandma, uh, mom and dad, mom and father-in-law, they are very godly, special people that love the Lord and have served Him many, many years. And so just looking forward to that and then heading out to Missouri and then on down to Oklahoma City, Philippians and uh, we went through the background of the book of Philippians. We followed uh, the Apostle Paul down the streets of Philippi as he found the first prayer meeting there outside the city limits by the river. And, and Lydia was saved and then the demon-possessed woman. And there's just so uh, much application there. And, and uh, we don't want to spend too much time in the uh, background, we want to get into the text of the book, and it just starts off sim- simply, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day unto now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart." Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense of the, and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Now, the first ten verses of the book of Philippians, Paul starts in verses 1 and 2 with his introduction, and then he moves into verse 3 and starts talking about Every remembrance of the uh, them 
uh, and in every prayer, verse 4. And so I've entitled this Introduction and Prayer. Paul, usually as he would begin his message, uh, I don't, uh, uh, normally when we write a letter, uh, the other day I got a letter from Esther. She was supposed to write a business letter for school. And so she went out and stuck it in the mailbox, and I didn't check the mailbox. So she gets it out of the mailbox and brings it in and says, please read my letter. And it, it looks there, and it's all in proper form, and it's signed Esther at the bottom. And uh, Paul didn't do it that way. He signed his letter at the very beginning. Now, there were some reasons for that. The church at Thessalonica had gotten a letter from the Apostle Paul. It wasn't written by the Apostle Paul. And it said some things that Paul would never have said. And uh, it was a false letter written by someone using Paul's name to try to mislead the church at Thessalonica. Sounds like CBS, ABC, NBC, MSN. Uh, somebody telling you something that's really... Not true, trying to make it look true. And so Paul wanted people that he was writing to to know immediately from whom the letter was written. And so he puts here Paul and Timotheus. Now, there's a reason why Timothy was listed here. If you'll remember, Paul had just picked up Timothy and was beginning to work and train with Timothy in the very earliest stages of Timothy's ministry. And they went to the city of Philippi. Timothy had been there. They would remember. Now, if, if we go through life, uh, Paul's life at this point, Paul had been put in prison in Jerusalem for two years. He had now been in uh, Rome for a long period of time waiting his trial, which could have possibly been a very close to another two years in prison. And apparently Timothy had went from Ephesus, where he was the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and was with Paul for a period of time here in prison. And so Paul sends greetings from himself. And it's interesting here. Normally Paul will say, an apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, and use that title that God had given him. And we, we need to take just a, a few minutes here as Paul, in a few moments, is going to bring up bishops and deacons uh, that were in the church there at Philippi. These are terms that, when they're used today, uh, usually uh, involve a lot of pomp and circumstance. Uh, I was here in Astoria, this is going back uh, just the very beginning of the church, uh, and I was walking up the, down uh, 31st Street there at Dittmar's Boulevard, passing out tracks, and, and I uh, looked down at my feet, and there was a little chick track. And, and uh, they do have the gospel in them, and, and I picked it up, and it said, Apostle so-and-so from the Apostle Church. And I'm, I'm sitting here going, Apostle? Uh, there's somebody that doesn't know his Bible very well. Because apostles were directly called and trained by Jesus Christ. 
We have no living apostles today. It's not possible. The apostles were the ones that God used to give us Scripture. And uh, if you read the book of Galatians and read uh, the book of Acts, after Paul got saved, he went away down south in, into the area of Arabia. And there, the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians, he spent three years personally being trained by Jesus Christ after Jesus had ascended into heaven. Now, why did Jesus do that? Because Paul was an apostle. And when Paul was writing to the Corinthians and and the Galatians and several of these other churches that he would write to, he would emphasize that office that he held, that authority as an apostle and use that as a basis that I have some things to tell you that need to be straightened out. Now, he didn't do that with Philippi. He just said, Paul and Timothy, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Servants of Jesus Christ. Now, the word servant there, people want to make a lot. It's the word doulos in the Greek. It just simply means slave. It means there's a, a connection there. There's ownership. Uh, there. Uh, there is a, a, uh, a bond that cannot easily be broken. And so Paul says, listen, Timothy and I are servants of Jesus Christ. That is our primary duty. That is our primary goal uh, in writing this letter. And we uh, apparently, Silas, who was with Paul... Uh, we do not have any record of Silas being with Paul in Jerusalem when he was arrested. And so there, Silas was out ministering in other churches. But Timothy there, he writes and reminds them uh, of, of Timothy and the warm affection that would be there as they had visited many years before. And he then he addresses it to all the saints... In Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. Now, the word saints, if we use it in the Bible, just simply means someone who is saved. Now, if you really want to blow somebody's mind, you just go and tell your devout uh, Catholic relative, I'm a saint. You are not. You haven't been beatified and, and you haven't been added to the record of saying, no, Jesus called us all to be saints. Amen. Uh, don't, don't do that. You'll just make people, they won't understand. The, the word saint simply is another way to refer to a saved person. And by the way, if you're saved, what ought to happen? Baptized, Amen. That's the sign for baptism. And what does baptism do? It puts you into the fellowship of a local church. And that's where bishops and deacons come in. Uh, we just, every year, two or three times a year, we get literature from this he calls himself Bishop Mears and another guy Uh, uh, who is nothing but 
a tax lawyer, and, and he's found out that he can make a lot of money by holding church seminars and doing church taxes. And so they send this paper out with some guy who's supposed to be a preacher in handcuffs being led off to prison by the IRS, and, and that's where you're going if you don't hire me. And I'm sitting there, uh, I just tear it up and throw it in the garbage. Sometimes I don't even take the effort to tear it up, just throw it away. What is a bishop? Well, read First Timothy chapter 3. If any man desire the office of bishop, what does it say? He desires a good work. A bishop is simply a pastor. Nothing more, nothing less. This idea of hierarchy in the church where there are, okay, we have you pastors. I always remember very fondly one guy coming in. He was a little upset with me about something. And he said, I want to speak to your superior. Anytime somebody said, well, um, the altar's right there. Get on your knees. You can talk to God anytime. Amen? No, no. I, I want to talk to Brother Clayton. Uh, why do you want to talk to Brother Clayton? He'll tell you, if you've got a problem with me, you better talk to me. Uh, because we don't have hierarchy in the church of Jesus Christ. We don't have a ladder to climb. We don't have district superintendents or, or all of these different things because each church is directly responsible to Jesus Christ for what goes on. That's why it's important for every member of this church to pray for me as your pastor, Andrew as the associate here, because right now we're operating without a secretary and a, a few things, and we're, we're working on that thing. We're surviving. But um, the thing is, all of this stuff that's going on at Union, by the way, let me give you an update. There's a floor. And we stripped out the old walls all the way down to the brick, and the stud wall was up the whole way around the basement. And uh, now all we have to do is put the electric and the plumbing back in. We meet with the heat guy the Monday we get back from uh, uh, Oklahoma, and hopefully we'll be able to pray for us. We're still trying to get our architect to get on board here and... Uh, draw up the necessary plans and file things, and then we got to figure out what to do with the ceiling and insulate and, and put the sheetrock down. But the floor is nice and solid. The, uh, there were supposed to be six men come up from Alabama. Three of them showed up, uh, but they got the work done. And uh, we also loaded another 30-yarder today. And uh, did you get to see it go bye-bye, or they came after you left? Uh, but uh, hopefully... Another 30 cubic yards of garbage is gone. And, uh, and then uh, a fellow came by. He does reclaiming. He took all the rotten 3 by 10 floor beams and all of that, and he's going to do something with it. And uh, I'm going, have at it. It just cost us money to get rid of it. So we'll, we'll let you carry it out. And so uh, we praise the Lord for those things that are going on. But there's a lot of work. Now, what is a deacon? Another word for bishop is the word minister. He is a servant of the church. 
There is a, just as Paul and, and Timotheus were servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, as each one of us endeavored to be, there is the job of serving and ordering in the church. And the word bishop really implies that, that there actually is authority and direction, that uh, uh, there, there is an organization. And what is the job of the deacon? Read Acts chapter 6. It's to help the pastor. Read 1 Timothy chapter 3. There's a lot of requirements there for the office of deacon. And one of the reasons why our, our church right now, we do not have any deacons. And the reason we don't is because those that might be qualified, uh, Brother Franz is pastoring a church. That's not the work of a deacon. That's the work of a pastor. And you pray for Brother Franz as they get some people in, uh, just as we did with Brother Hiram Davis, uh, is we've given him authority to operate as a church. We've sent him out. And when he gets ready to organize, then we're going to have an ordination. And we're going to ordain uh, Brother Franz as a pastor of that church. And uh, looking forward to that day. Uh, other people we have had uh, are not qualified because of different Issues there, and maybe not in the Christianity long enough, or uh, whatever. Or one of the biggest problems we face in New York is those that would be deacons don't have any time left over to deacon. Uh, there's just no no time in the schedule, and and a deacon has to be able to invest time in the ministry of the church. We have two trustees because. The uh, laws of New York State require that because they want people that they can look at if something goes wrong and say, you guys are the ones that are in trouble. Aren't you glad you're a a trustee, Brother Stephen? And Brother Dave Brinkman is our other trustee. And we work together to sign all the checks and keep all the business things going the way they ought to. But... And frankly, the hospital visitation and all of those things that deacons were supposed to do, we're handling that part pretty well, except when things get too crazy at Union. And so just pray for us as we go here. And that's the organization of the church. And nothing is new, by the way. It's amazing if we understand things correctly. The book of Philippians was written... Uh, a little before, the book of First Timothy that defines all of these offices, certainly after Acts chapter 6 when these things were in place. And this was already the standard operating procedure of the local church. There didn't need to be a manual written. People get all excited about this book called Didache. Uh, it's one of the oldest extant books, and it tells how churches worshipped. You know what Didache just says? They sang hymns, had the preaching of the word, and they operated basically the way it's outlined in the book of Acts. Nothing new, nothing exciting, nothing different. All those traditions came along after the emperor, Constantine, became the head of the church. Now, if Constantine is the head of the church, is Jesus the head of the same church? 
saying it can't have two heads. That's exactly correct. And so these traditions developed out of the church that Constantine started with many of the same congregations now removed 200, 250, 270 years from the time of the apostles. And those churches begin to change. That's what makes church history so complicated. Is There were churches that were once right and once good, but they changed. And I could give you names of churches I've watched change in my lifetime. And uh, it's, it's a sad thing, but the church at Philippi was still doing what's right. And so Paul, in his introduction, just gives his name, Timothy's name. We're servants uh, of Jesus Christ, and we're writing to all the saints that are saved, that are in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. Again, talking about a local church reaching a local area with the gospel. And then here's the greeting. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I made an amazing discovery. I don't know where we were, but heard someone preaching and said, well, grace was primarily the Gentile greeting and peace was primarily the Jewish greeting. Can I ask you something? Is there anyone in this room that doesn't need grace? Would you raise your hand? And I'll tell you, you are sadly mistaken because you need God's grace. Could we say amen to that? On the contrary, is there anyone here that doesn't need peace? Would you like God's peace ruling and reigning in your heart? Could we not just simply say that these are two of the main characteristics that set truly saved people apart from the rest of the world? Is there any peace in the world aside from Jesus Christ? I'll tell you, if you want a terrible study in horrible, wicked things... Study the United Nations just across the river here on 42nd Street. It's one of the bloodiest organizations in the history of mankind. Their peacekeepers are feared throughout the world, not because we don't want to keep peace, but because they're going to rape, rob, steal, uh, pillage, uh, that's what these people do. In, that's what they've done in Africa for generations. One of the reasons it's such a mess. Uh, now, our soldiers operating under the United Nations, uh, I don't know about you, but that troubles me as an American, that we would take our soldiers and send them under the flags of other nations to do other nations' work. Uh, I like that uniform. It's got that little flag. Everything else is toned down, but I'll tell you what, they, they carry that flag in full color, and, that, it, and it means things. That's the world's best example of peace, my friend. Not only can I have peace with God, 
I can have peace with myself. And I can have peace with my fellow men even though they don't want to have peace. Paul was a prisoner of Rome for upwards of four years at this point. When he was imprisoned at Philippi all those years before when they started this church, guess what? He had so much peace in his heart that he was singing praises in the prison cell after having been beaten unmercifully and unjustly and thrown into prison. I'll tell you, I could use a little peace like the Apostle Paul had. Had about you. And grace. They call it gracious living. Where you entertain and all the food tastes good and looks good and smells good and everything is just the way it ought to be. Fantasy land. It's never that way. Only for short periods of time. But I'll tell you what. It's a wonderful thing to be around gracious people that don't chop your head off or whatever phraseology would like to do, use in there every time you make a mistake. You know what grace is? It's God putting up with us. And you know how that grace ought to be reflected from Christian to Christian? By putting up with each other. Aren't those the two hallmarks that really set us aside from the world at large? It's having peace, having grace, being gracious. I'll tell you, there's only one place you're going to get them. And that's what Paul says here in verse 2. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul lists them equally. There is no division here other than one God. Two of the persons are mentioned. God the Father and God the Son. Now we get to the prayer. And the prayer starts, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. That's why on Sunday nights we have praise time. You know why? Because we're supposed to be thankful to God. Paul says, every time I think of you in my prayers, I am thankful to God for the Philippian church. That's a wonderful thing. I'll tell you, I enjoy it when I get a phone call from different places and someone will say, listen, we've been praying for you and your church. And we're praying for what's going on at Union. I'm saying, we need those prayers. Uh, we really do. And uh, they they say, oh, we know you do. And that's why we're we're praying for you. And Paul is praying to God and he's just being thankful. That's part of what prayer ought to be. And he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. Now, Paul says, listen... I'm making a request. I am joyfully asking God to...
to do something for you. Look at verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, Paul said, listen, I am thankful. And one of the things that he was thankful for was Paul had spent some time in the city of Philippi. uh, Not a very long time originally. Then he went back uh, a couple of years later and was there, the Bible says, just many days until he had to alter his plans. And then he stayed there a few more weeks, apparently. But still, he hadn't been with the Philippian church in the city of Philippi upwards of just a couple of months in a period of five or six years, and now he hadn't seen them for at least another four. So in a period of nearly ten years, Paul may have spent six or eight weeks in Philippi, total. He said, but I remember this church. And I'm thankful for you, and I'm making a request for with joy to God for your fellowship in the gospel. How many of you know what Paul was talking about there? How do you fellowship with Paul? How did the church at Philippi fellowship with Paul in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, as we read through the book of 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 Philippians here, we're going to find out how they did it. They sent him offerings to help him on his way. Does that sound like fellowship? There's a connection there. And Paul says, I'm praying that you're going to be able to help me further the ministry that God has given me. You know, how many letters do we get every month now? 70, 80 letters. We support about 75 different missionaries and different missionary projects every month. And, and uh, so uh, not everyone sends letters every month, but uh, pretty close to every other month at least, we get contact from all of those missionaries and every one of them says, Thank you for your faithful support. And we know that your support is not just money. Uh, we know that you pray for us. How many of you enjoyed having the Leadbetters and Hungry stop by? And uh, that was kind of a last-minute thing. And we've got some other missionaries that uh, are going to be coming to visit us. And then, Lord willing, our missions conference, we got Brother uh, Park from Korea is going to be preaching our missions conference the first week in November. Uh, he said, I, he said I, I'm going back uh, to Korea the end of October. And I said, is there any way you could stay just a few more days and preach our missions conference? He said, I'll check on it. And, and he changed his schedule a little bit. And so he's going to be with us just a few days before he leaves to go back to uh, uh, the, the country of South Korea. I love being with the missionaries. Amen? I remember traveling with Brother Clayton when I first got out of Bible college. And we would pull into a church and the pastor would come out and say, Oh, Brother Clayton, it's good to see you. And he had, But see, he had been there when the church had started. And he had helped them get started and he had helped them get established. 
That's why I'm looking forward to having Brother Clayton here for our 25th anniversary. He was here 25 years ago when we held our first service. In fact, most of you remember the story. He paid the rent uh, for our first uh, place of meetings. It was $300. He said, let me pay that for you, Brother Pete. And uh, I just love being around Brother Clayton. We've had fellowship, and we've been able to support him. He was our first missionary. We took on for support. And, uh, and I will tell you, there's, there is a connection. And Paul is not praying uh, without direction and without a goal in mind. He says, I'm praying that you Philippians are going to be able to continue supporting me in the ministry, both prayerfully, financially, standing behind me, standing true to the doctrine that is there. And that's where verse 6 comes in. Often we take verse 6 out of context. I've heard so many say, being confident of this very thing, of that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And I've heard that applied, well, well, see, Jesus saved you and he's going to keep you. And This is a local church verse, my friend. This is talking about what was going on in the church. Paul said, I'm praying with joy, knowing that God's going to answer my prayer because you have supported me in the past and I have every expectation that you will continue to support me. And I'm confident that as Jesus has begun this partnership, working in the ministry together, that he's going to keep it going until the day of Jesus Christ. I want to warn you, be careful for looking for promises that don't apply to you. Uh, the world loves to do that. The name it and claim it crowd. They, they look through every verse that says, He'll make you prosperous. Oh, that applies to me. Because I want to be prosperous. Well, you know, I've, I've met people that would be prosperous whether God blessed them or not. Haven't you? I mean, how about our president? Who's our president right now? How about our former mayor, uh, Michael Bloomberg? Are they not prosperous men? Did God have anything to do with it? I trow not. I don't think God likes beauty contests and casinos. Uh, so, listen. There was a partnership going on here. The church at Philippi was doing what it was supposed to do. And Paul said, I have a confidence that what you begun is going to be continued until the day of Jesus Christ. As long as the church is functioning, the church ought to be involved in helping people get the gospel out. Does that sound good to you? That's what our church does. We take right at a third of our entire budget. goes right out of here to missionaries and Bible colleges and all these different... Well, Bible college... Uh, we support one, and uh, and there's a reason for that, and a reason we support our missionaries. And Paul tells of his need for encouragement. He says, you have been a source of joy in my life, and I'm thankful for it, and it's going to continue. 
and verse 7, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, in as much as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. You see, this is one of the things I love about missions program in an independent Baptist church. You get to see the missionaries. You get to shake their hands. You get to know that when you put your five, ten, whatever it is in the offering plate, that it goes to help those missionaries. You have a part in every missionary that goes out of this church. There's a connection. I remember meeting up a Southern Baptist preacher years ago, and he says, yeah, he says, we, we do it all different. How do you get your people to give to missions? I said, well, what do you do? He says, oh, we give to the Lottie Moon Fund. What's a Lottie Moon? Oh, she was a missionary to China many, many years ago. And uh, that's what they call it. And we send our money into headquarters and they put it in this great big trust fund and they just send the money out to the missionaries. And uh, it's a very efficient way of giving is what I was explaining. I said, but you never see the No, the missionaries are all proved at headquarters. I like the way we do it because there's supposed to be a fellowship. Not only between the pastor, but between the people. That's why Paul says you all, twice already, in his defense, his confirmation of the gospel, and even his bonds, the church at Philippi had been faithful down through these years to, to remember the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul is just showing them his affection. He says, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. He says, I love you in the Lord Jesus Christ because you, as a church, are doing what you're supposed to do. That's a great thing. I want our church to be an encouragement, and we have been, to the churches and to the men that have helped us down through the years. And now we want to see those that we have helped. There's uh, one of the greatest things is when I go out to some of these meetings and things, somebody will come up and, Hey, Brother Montoro, good to see you. Shake your hand. And I'm just sitting there going, deer in the headlights. Oh, you don't remember me. My name is Brother... Oh, yes, you started a church in... Yeah, you helped us. I'll tell you what. That is the cream of the ministry. That is the blessings that Paul's talking about here. Being able to be together. And and then we get down to verse 9. Now Paul is going to get serious about his prayer. And we're going to have to shut this down here fairly quickly, but I want you just to start thinking about this, and we'll pick up in verse 9 in two weeks by God's grace. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. You notice that he doesn't say that I just pray that your love abounds more and more. He says in all knowledge... And judgment. Now look at the next verse. That ye may approve 
things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Now, if you've been here the last several weeks, we've done a lot of talk about the love of God and what it does in your heart. Doesn't that sound like what Paul's praying for? You see, God's love is not just a warm, wishy-gushy feeling inside. God's love is obedience to His commandments. Amen? And he says, I want your love to abound in what? Knowledge. Well, what are you supposed to know? What Jesus wants us to do and wants us to know. And judgment, being able to tell what is serving Christ and what isn't serving Christ. Amen. To approve things that are excellent. Uh, this is one of the problems that we we'll often have when missionaries call up. We'd like to come and support uh, and have your church support us. Well, who who are you? Well, I'm from such and such Bible ministry. I said, well, listen, we're we're rather narrow-minded around here. We we want to support. We're not here to tell you what to believe. Or and I tell missionaries this all the time. I said, we're not here to instruct you. I said, what we're, if you don't know what you believe, why are you a missionary? I, I, I said, we want to find people who are already like-minded that we can work together. You see, that's approving things that are excellent. Amen? It's not that we're mean-spirited. We don't have enough money to support all the missionaries that we could support that are like-minded, that are 100%, that are in total need of our support. We can't even support all them. We're not going to give support and invest in ministries that don't even preach and teach the gospel simply and honestly and completely. And so, here's what he says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. Jesus works in our lives to produce righteousness. That's what he meant by, if you love me, keep my commandments. And this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. First John chapter 3, there, and, verse, and chapter 5. As we go on, and this is how we know that we love the children of God. When we keep his commandments. We, we need to understand that just feeling nice about other people is okay. But when I keep God's commandments and live the Bible way, I can actually help someone. When I do it in the local church, and that's what the church at Philippi had been doing with Paul. And that's why Paul is praying for them. It's a very simple prayer here. He says, I want your church to continue doing the things that a church ought to do. And where does that start? Jesus Christ. Where does that end? Jesus Christ. What is the benefit? The glory of God. That's Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. 
And he said he offered that prayer in joy, being confident that God's going to answer that prayer, that God's going to keep answering that prayer, and that God's going to keep blessing that church that was at Philippi. We're getting started through the book of Philippians. The introduction and Paul's prayer. And we're looking forward to all of the things that are in here. And he is going to explain the things that happened to him that, of course, many of the Philippian people didn't understand. Paul just kind of dropped off the end of the earth there, disappeared for months. No one knew what happened except those people living in Jerusalem. Finally, the news filters out that Paul's been imprisoned and just left there at the mere whim of the Roman governor for two years. And finally, he gets sent to Rome, and he's shipwrecked, and all of the things that happened to him, and he's living in a house there, waiting to hear, have his trial heard by Caesar himself, when he really should have just simply been set free. And Paul's going to say, wait a minute, I want you to understand something. God has a plan for my life. None of us would have chosen it, but... The gospel's gone forward because I've been obedient and you've been obedient and let's keep serving Christ together. That's the theme of the book. That's why there's rejoicing and joy is because there's something to do that is sanctioned by the Holy Spirit of God, the written word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ and the glorification of God the Father. And all God's people said... Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and as we investigate this book and just kind of peruse the words there and pick up different points that have so much meaning and so many connections to different doctrines and all of these things. And yet Paul just simply prayed that this church, church in Philippi, would continue assisting him and serving with him and fellowshipping with him to get the gospel to the world in which they lived. Lord, we're thank you, thank, thankful for that testimony, thankful for the facts of history, and most thankful that Open Door Bible Baptist Church right here in Astoria, Queens, can follow in that same exact set pattern, doing the same exact thing, only with different men, different missionaries, same gospel. Same message, same baptism, same church. Lord, we're thankful that it's simple. We ask that you would encourage us. And Lord, that this prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Philippi would also be true of our church. That we would continue in that fellowship. And the work that you have done, you will continue to do right here until Jesus comes back for us. Before we finish that prayer, you need to slip out and spend a few moments in prayer yourself. Or just pray there at your pew.